Welcome to OTR, Over the Rainbow, Achieving Mental Health for Real. This podcast offers hope to many people who needlessly suffer from mental health issues. Your host, Bob Adelman, brings you information on how you can recover from any mental health issue and achieve a happier life. Each episode interviews experts like doctors, counselors, and life artists who give helpful tips on living a happier life. But most importantly, Bob interviews ordinary people who have suffered with a mental health issue, some on the brink of or attempted to take their own lives. Each one has recovered to lead a much happier life. Most of the guests have books or websites with more info that you can use for recovery. You can do it too. If you want to know more, please check out his trailer. Bob's notes on today's show follows. Kit O'Malley is an author, public speaker, mental health advocate, and former psychotherapist who lives with bipolar disorder. Over the years, Kit has struggled with bipolar, experiencing depression so deep that it was a living hell and mania so severe that she was psychotic. There is help. Psychotherapy, medication, and coping skills have enabled her to live a full life. Now, here's Bob with today's show. Kit, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Would you like to tell us a little bit about you first? Yes, sure, you bet. And thanks for having me um, on your show, Bob. Um, no problem. I'm I'm an author, mental health advocate, public speaker, and former psychotherapist who lives um, with bipolar. So that's the the short the short intro. I'm also a mother and a wife, um, a mother of a now adult son. And you said author, an right? Author, yes. So. What is your latest my, book? My latest book is my one and only book. My book is my memoir, Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life. It's for sale on Amazon. Um, and in it, I share how I balanced living with bipolar with my work as a mental health advocate and caretaker of my son and parents. Um my book offers hope to those living with mental health conditions like bipolar and other mental health conditions and offers hope to their loved ones um, and gen- basically the general public. It educates the general public. Um, and then it tells about how my mental health journey has given me um, purpose. Great. Um, when you uh, were growing up, when did you first notice that you might have some problems? Or was it later it was, on? When I was 18 years old, I was diagnosed with depression. I was severely depressed and suicidal. Um, and, it, you know, it went from ideation to me actually having the means, you know, the, the method, you know, the, the means to do it, the, a plan, a suicide note, all that kind of stuff. And then I realized, oh, no, I'm actually going to do it this time. And I uh, reached out um, and to a friend and to the resident assistant in the dorm- dorms where I lived at UCLA. And I said, I need to see a psychotherapist who's really good today. Um, and the resident assistant got me in to see, to see a, a psychologist at UCLA who practiced cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and that helped me rewrite those irrational thoughts like, the world would be better off without me. Two more r- rational thoughts, like, ooh, I'm, you know, I've 
basically the world is better off with me. I, you know, I, I offer something to the world and, you know, my family would be better off without me. I'm loved by my family, you know, things like that. So you would take those depressive thoughts and rewrite them into more positive, um, rational thoughts. And that helped me get through that crisis and taught me a skill in terms of how to stop um, thoughts like that and observe them and correct them. Um, And basically it retrains your brain. um, So those uh, shortcuts that go from, go right to severe depression are sort of rerouted. Um, Then I lived with the diagnosis of chronic depression, which is called dysthymia um, throughout my 20s and 30s, even though at 30, um, I became so depressed that I was, it was rather than it being a suicidal depression, it was a physical depression. Um, I found myself unable to get out of bed. Um, I was, uh, it was a year when I was 30 years old, when uh, my grandmother died, a friend from high school died. And um, I took a job working um, with, I, I was a psychotherapist at the time, and I um, was, I worked with severely emotionally disturbed adolescents. And um, one of the um, adolescent boys, um, a 16-year-old, six-foot boy, threatened to rape me during session. And um, I tried to get the phone. He disconnected the phone. And luckily, I was able to get out of the office and get help. Um, so, yeah, but that was after that, I just, I, I I actually called my parents and I said, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I can't get out of bed even, you know, and I can't get myself to get up out of bed. And they convinced me to go to my doctor for medication, um, and, which I did. I got up, got out of bed, went to my doctor, got medication. And um, um the first medication I had was Prozac, which was an SSRI, and it gave me a very uncomfortable um, side effect where I felt like I was just about to jump out of my skin. And so then my doctor gave me Trazodone, which is a more sedating antidepressant to counteract that side effect. And my parents thought, well, maybe, you know, in conversations with my parents, they, they said, maybe you should get a second opinion from a psychiatrist. So I went to a psychiatrist, and unfortunately, the psychiatrist I went to rapidly changed my uh, medication. He didn't believe in SSRI, so he took me off that. And then he had me just on the trazodone, which was made me very, very sedating. So I slept all the time. Then he took me off the trazodone and put me on a tricyclic. And after that, after those rapid changes in antidepressants and with the tricyclic, I uh, was triggered into a week of full-blown mania. And um, yeah, oh so I had three different streams of thought racing through my head. I had uh, thoughts of a binary code, which is like a bunch of stream of zeros and ones. Of course, that made no sense to me. I knew it was just zeros and ones. I had a stream of thoughts about chaos theory, um, and I had a stream of thoughts about Christian mystic saints, which was something I actually had a particular interest in at the time. Mm-hmm. Um And so I had a friend who called my priest in my church and my father and said, Kit needs your help now. 
And the priest came over and had me call the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist prescribed antipsychotics, which nipped at psychosis in the bud, you know, just for a three-day period of antipsychotics, stopped it. Um, And and my father then came down, and then later my mother, um, and I tried to sort of put my life back together, but kept on. I really wasn't ready. My brain was just broken. It sounds like an incredible voyage there. Um, I know bipolar is extremely difficult uh, when you get the, uh, the super ions, and then you go dip down into the lows. It's hard to control that, but... So you went yeah. on to, uh, to try other medicines? Yeah. So what happened was I went, at that point in time, I found myself unable to drive because I would fall asleep driving, unable to read. I, I wasn't able to put words together to, you know, forms, you know, when I tried to read, the words would fly apart. The mm. I couldn't put together words. I couldn't put together sentences, the words to make a sentence. Every, it just, my brain was not. Were you still in the mania state when your brain stopped? No, this was after this was after the antipsychotics. I was, okay. but I was still on the tricyclics, which I don't think were working. I, first of all, I don't think my brain had healed yet from the manic episode. It takes mm-hmm. a while to recuperate, and then um, I was on a medication that was not ideal for me. Um, so. Um, what my parents and I decided is, although I was 30, almost 31 at that point, was that I would move back in with them because I could not safely mm-hmm. drive. To I took a temp job. I stopped being a psychotherapist, took a temp job. I couldn't safely drive because I was falling asleep, and I couldn't really do the job because I couldn't read. So um, I ended up um, moving in with my parents, seeing a different psychiatrist who worked in conjunction with the uh, a psychotherapist and um, the psychiatrist believed that my mania was triggered by the medications because before that I had never, I was high functioning. Okay. Um, so they decided at that time um, back in the early nineties, there was no uh, differentiation between bipolar one and bipolar two in mm-hmm. the diag- in the DSM, the diagnostic, and statistical manual that that uh, providers, mental health providers, use to to diagnose mental illnesses. So I did not rise to the. Although I did have that full blown manic episode. Aside from that, before that, I did not have full blown mania. Um, and so he thought that it was what they call iatrogenic which means it's caused, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it means it's caused (laughs) by the medication. It was triggered by the medication. Mm -hmm. Um, So he put me on um, another SSRI, serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and and did it, had me go very slowly titrate up to a a low dose that kept me stable. And any time I would start having racing thoughts, from the, the antidepressant, I would call, and then he'd slow down, or reduce and slow down, you know, the ramping up of the medication to a low dose. So originally, you were just depressed, but the medication actually caused you to slip into more of a mania state, is that correct? Correct. And so I was basically stable 
or what you know would be considered stable. It wasn't full blown mania. I was an, an overachiever who would periodically suffered depression. So I was treated for depression throughout my 30s with medication and psychotherapy until I was 39 when I was a mother of a toddler and I started to feel euphoria and felt called to one church for Bible study and another church for spiritual direction. And although the behavior and what I was doing, going to Bible study and spiritual direction was fine. There was nothing destructive about it. I recognized that euphoria, that feeling as being symptomatic of, um, of hypomania or mania. So then a doctor adjusted your, your medication for that? Well, what happened at that point was I called, I, I told, I told my husband to get on the phone and I called the advice nurse for my insurance and I described what was going on. And she said, go to the ER or see a psychiatrist today, right now. And so I wasn't, it was a Friday afternoon. I wasn't able to get in to see a psychiatrist. I didn't want to go to the ER because that would mean probably I'd be hospitalized. Um, but maybe not. I just didn't want to go to a <laughs> no, so no, instead but, Nobody I, wants to go there. Yeah. I, instead, I, uh, I, Later, I did go to a, an emergency room, you know, when I wanted to be hospitalized. But this time, I uh, basically uh, went to my regular physician. She gave me some um, uh, mood stabilizers and said, you need to see somebody Monday, which I had an appointment to see a psychiatrist on the following Monday. And I took the mood stabilizers over the weekend um, before I had that appointment and I was at that point diagnosed bipo with bipolar disorder and have lived with bipolar disorder diagnosis. And how old then. were you then? When you were I was diagnosed? 39. Mm. I was 39. So yeah. you lived with for a long time without really knowing what it was. And and part of it's the, the progression of the illness and part of it is the change in, uh, you know, what clinicians diagnosed back when I was first, uh, you know, first right. treated with medication versus mm -hmm. later on, there were more, even though in the literature, there was an acknowledgement that there was, you know, there was literature showing, okay, this is a spectrum disorder. You, there's a bipolar two and there's a bipolar three. The bipolar two is the one with the hypomania, which is a mild mania. Right. And the bipolar yeah. three is what we call cyclothymia, which is people who just have higher highs and lower lows than is within the normal range, but are still functional. Right. Uh, so, um, and I, I knew I was at least cyclothymic throughout my thirties. And I remember telling my health providers, you know, I'm way more productive than most people. Um, like, you know, there's, I'm probably cyclothymic, but I still wasn't diagnosed with bipolar until I had that euphoric, feeling and you know because you, it, it's, it's, it's productivity and workaholism at that point in time wasn't considered diagnostic criteria enough to you know well when you first got diagnosed there wasn't any uh bipolar correct one or two or, or was it, was it bipolar, bipolar at all they didn't have they had it in the literature but it wasn't in the diagnostic and statistical manual it wasn't in the dsm yet when i was first diagnosed well, you was this when you first got diagnosed? Okay, when I when I had the full blown manic episode was nineteen ninety three, I think, or ninety four. 
But you were diagnosed with depression even earlier, right? Right. I was diagnosed with depression in 1981. Okay. All right. So it was a long period of time. In 81, it was like a night and day between uh, now and 81. So. They probably didn't know a lot right. about or bipolar sort of, at that you know, point. It's just it's sort of like how much are you going to pathologize? You know, I mean, I, I, I no. was a, a a workaholic throughout my twenties and thirties. When you were when you were a child, did you have any uh, idea that you were depressed or you were no, not as a child. As a child, as a child I was a, a super high achiever. I was like a type A. So, you know, I mean, there's things you can look back and go, okay. I mean, there was one time I did some behavior where I was directing a one-act play in high school, and I got up on a desk and yelled at my cast, and I recasted the play, like, one week before. One week before, I was just very frustrated (laughs) with my actors, and, and I fired and recast my lighting technician. I was a little. <laughs> so you were high strong I was creative. then. I was creative. Through your childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Through your childhood. Yeah. yeah. No, but you, I wasn't. But you I weren't was, depressed. Yeah, I was. I know. I wasn't. Exactly. I was extremely. But you were very motivated. Right. I was extremely high achieving, and then I also was a perfectionist. And I was, and but then I lost my temper. I mean, which wasn't typical behavior for me at, at all. But I, my drama teacher actually called my mom and said, "Kit is yelling at her staff, at her cast right now." Like it was definitely an instance of that's not okay behavior, you know. Um, but but it, 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 the the play turned out great. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bottom line. Doesn't matter how you feel, but the play is good. Um, do you do you think that your parents had any uh, issues like this? My my parents. My father was um, an alcoholic, and my mom. I always thought of as an alcoholic, but later in life we realized she was basically drinking with him. So yes, she would get drunk too, but mm-hmm. it was because it's like if you can't beat them, join them. It was her way of coping. Right, so you were kind of. Doomed from the start, in a bit. In yeah, a so there was yeah. that had a negative effect, um, and then um, my mom had—I don't know what she had—but some sort of undiagnosed mental illness. She had a tendency to attack people, um, and she had no insight no. to the effect that uh, her emo- emotionally attacked them, you know, verbally, and yeah. people didn't. Mm-hmm. She had no insight into it, so she—it was pretty destructive, right? Um, and back then, people did. I, my parents had problems, but back then they didn't do anything about it. And I had a big problem for a long time, and they didn't do anything. My uh, sister-in-law had to step in and say, "This guy needs to go see a counselor," right? Because I was doing all sorts of rituals, OCD, and, and it, you know, it was a big problem. But they were not familiar with mental illness. It was just like not anything you talked about. Or anything you thought about. Right. And that's the thing that kind of lingers to this day, that it it does have a big stigma to it. When you mention that you have mental illness, people get a little bit concerned about you. And and that's the kind of thing on this broadcast that I'd like to prove wrong. 
I mean, right. most people that have mental health issues are fine. Right. So this, this whole thing about you're, you have a mental illness, so you're, uh, you're a problem, uh, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for. And also to give people information, and you mentioned suicide. It's, it's September Suicide Awareness Month. And uh, that's the big thing I'm looking at is that people out there that are thinking about suicide, it's wrong. It's just wrong to your whole family. It's just wrong to everyone that loves you. And there's a lot of people that you don't even know love you. Right. And you got to try is what I say. Try. Because there's lots of help out there now. So that's part of what my whole schmeal is. Right. I, yeah. Yeah, I have, I, I, I totally agree with you, but I think that sometimes when you say it's wrong, which I understand what you're saying, it is, it has a devastating impact on family and friends, but, um, you're not thinking clearly when you're depressed. So I think what people have to know is that, is that they, they are loved and that they have value and that, um, it's temporary, even though it feels like it's, permanent it is a temporary state and that there right. is hope that there's help out there and there is hope and that they're not alone there are other people who have experienced what they're going through and who have um you know gotten help and survived and have thrived and have had a productive wonderful life well i like i like to use i like to use myself as an mm -hmm. example i've had horrible issues with depression and major, major depression, and I'm sitting here today, fully functional, not the happiest guy in the world, but, you know, life is yeah. pretty good, and it wasn't before, it wasn't good, there was no good involved, it was all right. bad, everything, from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, for some reason when you dream, you're not depressed, but I was so depressed, and I had so much OCD, it was just ridiculous. And I came out of that without committing suicide, and I came out strong, I think. And I feel like I'm a lot stronger. I have a long way to go. I'm not the most uh, healthy and mentally uh, person in the world. I still have a lot of depression and anxiety. But I'm on the road right. to recovery. We right, are. and that's another thing for people to know that even taking medications or being in treatment and going through in, and being in recovery doesn't mean that we are cured of our mental illness. It doesn't mean that we're symptom free. It means that we're living a a for us, you know, meaningful, productive life, and that we're taking care of ourselves. So we can still have symptoms and still have episodes. Um, but recovery is an ongoing, non-linear, like it doesn't go, you know, you have, you have setbacks, but that still means you're, you're still on the road to recovery as long as you are taking care of yourself, as long as you are working towards that. Right. And it, it gives you the opportunity, the opportunity to be happy. Even if it's for yeah. an hour or a minute, you have happy moments and that makes all the difference in the world. Because when you're really, really bad, you know, it, 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 it's just awful. And to be able to come out of it and, and be happy at times is a bit, is a big victory. And I'm not finished. I mean, right. I'm, 
gonna keep I mean there's all sorts of things coming out like the uh the therapy that has the psychedelics in it. I wanna explore that and you know, there's there's all sorts of hope for, for new medicine and right and new right. cures. For there's this. treatments getting there's improvements, you know. So so you know, right. so hopefully they'll keep on coming up with improvements and helping you to help people out. Um, you know, so that to, to the extent that some of our, the, the mental health conditions are, can be debilitating, we really do need. Um, right. and to the extent that some people aren't helped by treatments that are available, you know, we need more research and, and, um, and, and work done to help those people out. So your book uh, goes over all of this that you uh, went through in your life. Uh, is, what is in your book, uh, you know, other than what you already told us? Well, the, what, what kind of other well, things do you have in there? I start off with my journey, and then I, I divide, and then after I talk about my journey in a narrative way, I go and I divide up uh, my old podcast uh, not podcast, my blog posts, um, which were, you know, selected ones, which are short uh, nonfiction about my, uh, you know, creative nonfiction about my experience and poetry about my experience. And they're organized by um, the theme of bipolar disorder, you know, basically the diagnosis and living with bipolar disorder, um, mental health advocacy, you know, um, because that's what I, you know, what my purpose is basically right now is being a mental health advocate and caretaking and caretaking because I lived with bipolar, but at the same time I was taking care of a kid, um, my son, who's now 22. He had ADHD and severe migraines and depression and anxiety. Um, so I had to take care of myself in order to take care of him. And then um, in the last uh, few years of their lives, my parents both had dementia. And um, though they were in memory care, um, because there's no way I could have taken care of both of them, it was really challenging even in memory care um, because they were very independent. Yes. So I was a caretaker of my parents and that I was the one who helped make the decisions along with my sister in terms of their treatment. I was the one who was local, so I was the one who visited and, you know, uh, coordinated care and and made decisions. Of course, I had my sister's support, and she'd come, come down and visit, you know, fly down when she could um, and, and be there by phone uh, and conference calls and stuff for, you know, to make sure that, that our parents were well taken care of. But that was an extremely stressful time um, of both of our lives because they both had dementia. Um, my dad had um, alcohol-related dementia, and then my and my mom had been his caretaker yeah. until she had a stroke, and her stroke was devastating. It took away her ability to speak oh, yeah. and in, and understand language, mm-hmm. um, and so that was really hard. Um, yeah, dementia is is uh, no, you can't describe. Yeah. It's so hard on a person. When your loved one just kind of goes away and, and you don't know what to do and it, and it gets to be annoying and, you know, gets to be a real hardship. Right. 
uh, living with the person that has yeah, dementia. So I so. didn't live with them, but I couldn't have. <laughs> but, but for my mom, totally. I mean, I think that was very much kind of what led to her having a stroke was just so much stress in her life and having her blood pressure yeah. spike and and she right. had panic attacks and stuff because it was just so stressful for her. Um, and finally, um, she had this just devastating stroke um, and um, and mm. horrible. It damaged her brain so badly. It's just it's just it's just tragic. It was horrible to see. Um, um, yeah. 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 I, I, I just think I, I think that anyone that has depression and anxiety has a tendency to make a lot of drama in their life. And and one thing I look at is what's worse than depression to people that are depressed? Boredom. Uh, if you're bored, you want to fill that, you know, space because you don't have the right chemicals flowing to your brain. So you might want to do some adrenaline. I used to do adrenaline when I worked. I was an adrenaline junkie, basically. So the one thing I, I I like to point out to people is that some of your life probably could be changed. You don't need all that drama. You you have to think about what what you're doing and maybe change it around where it's not such a bad thing. And are you really just bored and looking for something to fill that void of people that are depressed? And so I think that's a big um area that should be examined in in a person's life. Yeah, I mean, I I believe in that. I believe, like, people cut themselves. Why do they do that? Well, because they get in the moment if they cut themselves. They get adrenaline if they cut themselves. They don't have to be bored or, or sitting with depression and have nothing to do. If you make trouble for yourself, basically, you will produce chemicals like adrenaline and and that in, in a crazy way that's better right, than boredom to right. a lot of it's, people. It's it's so, basically yeah, a, it's, the the cutting and the adrenaline junkie stuff are and f- forgive me I was trained to be a psychotherapist so and I geek out on that but both of those things are what would be considered negative coping mechanisms for the depression and right. they and they are basically self treatment like negative self treatment. Just like drugs right. and alcohol, right. it's the same thing. Yeah, it's like alcoholism. I, I was an adrenaline junkie. Drugs and alcohol, adrenaline and cutting, all of those are so. They're yeah. they're basically sim- they're behavioral symptoms, you know, and they're behavioral uh, negative coping mechanisms. Um, I used to self harm right. myself when I was in high school, so I actually did that. There you go. I mean, everybody does it now. It seems. I mean, I talk to children. All, all around the world. Yeah, I did it. it. I didn't cut. I, I picked at my skin, but I did it doing it. Yeah, it, it, it's awful. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I understand why people want to fill the void, but they have to examine, like, when they're bored, can they fill that up with right. constructive I, time? Things where they're doing something they enjoy that gives them natural, you right. know, dopamine and stuff. And stop, stop the right. trauma, because stopping the trauma and drama is is, I think, very important when you're trying to recover. Yeah. You have to realize that 
if you're sitting there and you say you're bored, a lot of times with me, if I get bored, I make something up. I, I make something in my head, which generates frustration and anxiety, which generates chemicals in my brain. So it's it's like my brain is kind of lusting for these chemicals, and I have to sit there and say, wait a minute, I'm bored. Let me fill it up with something I like to do, like podcasting or whatever. Keep yourself busy if that's what you need to do. Right. Um, no, meditation is good, but sometimes meditation is 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 too much into yourself. Sometimes, I mean, not. I mean, meditation is good if you know how to do it, but it's a little bit. Uh, for me, it was it was hard because I would get too into it and too bored, and it, and it caused bad thoughts to come in my head. So you got to be careful with that. But uh, I just think it's important that we. Everyone realizes that, you know, on the road to recovery, you got to realize you got to stop drama in your life if you can, and and just realize it. So maybe you can stop, especially if you're cutting or anything. Right. I think that's any where other the kind of addiction. That's where so. a really good psychotherapist can help is to, you know, in terms of coming up with positive coping right. mechanisms. And peer support is incredibly helpful. There's a lot of peer support groups for those who have mental health issues, both online and in person. Uh, now you can go to a lot of virtual peer support groups. Um, and uh, NAMI, the National Alliance mm-hmm. on Mental Illness, is one organization that that offers peer support. Um, there are others. Um, and mm-hmm. there probably are others that specify with anxiety disorders. OCD, they're thinking of it's being something even different in anxiety the disorder nowadays. They used to think of it as anxiety, and now they're thinking it as more of a neurologic issue, I think. I might be remembering that wrong. But I, I geek yeah. out on reading mm-hmm. research. I mean, <laughs> I, I, like, I, I just think that people have to realize that their brain is an organ, and it can go bad, but that doesn't mean you're crazy or you're bad or, right. or anything like that. It means right. you, you need, need some help. help. Exactly. Either counseling... Whatever. Which stimulates the right, the right chemicals if you go to counseling. And also, it, you know, I had a person one time say to me, well, counseling, you're just talking. How could that make a difference? That's so wrong. It, it makes a big difference. I mean, that's like saying if somebody says something bad about you, you don't get your feelings hurt. It, it's, it's the emotions that get generated that help you, uh, cope with the, the depression and anxiety. Yeah, I think think it's interesting what you brought up because I think that for different people, different types of therapy or, you know, different uh, treatment or different um, peer support, like everybody, you know, you need to find what works for you, like you're, you know, like like we're talking about because what works for me and also I have bipolar disorder, which is this pretty serious mental illness, so medication's definitely, you know, on the chart. But, and if you're, if you go to therapy and it doesn't help, it could be that therapist wasn't the right, mm-hmm. you know, a match for you. It could be that that type of therapy wasn't the good match for you. Um, so there's, it's, it's kind of, and even in medication, it's like you have to go through a lot of trial and error to get the right match, you know, what works for you. So I think that for everybody, you have to say, don't give up. Right. Keep keep trying, like you were saying, because there's something that will work for you. And just 
find that something that works for you in a po- that right. positive something. Take it a day at a time. I mean, that's so important to stay in the moment. Because if you're in the moment, you can't be depressed. Because there is no past or no future. So that's important to keep in mind. Stay in the moment. If you have to, what I do is I feel things. It helps a lot. Like I have a bad thought. I try to change it. I start feeling the keyboard and the microphone and everything. And it takes me right out of it. So those sorts of things, yeah. Ah, so it's sort of like the, it's like one of those exercises, the three, three exercises like do you look for you look at three things you i forget what it is but there's like you know what i mean there's there are right. there are just very tangible yeah. exercises like that you can use that can get you out of that and you're using mindfulness in terms of being in the moment so that's working that yes. mindfulness is yes. working for you which is fabulous do you have a, a social media that you'd like to plug uh i'm going to put it on description of the program but uh is there a site for for me i have uh, for my personal site it's kitomalley.com k-i-t-t-o-m-a-l-l-e-y.com for people who want general supportive information i would recommend they go to nami n-a-m-i dot org o-r-g nami is the national alliance on mental illness. It's the largest nonprofit in the United States that deals with mental health conditions. And um, it's a, a great uh, resource in, in terms of information. There's lots of other stuff too out there. There are great things out there. But I'll just, just to be simple, I've got some resource links on my site. So you can go to resources and check out some major resources that are reputable. Um, I don't go into a huge, deep, huge list. I just do, okay, here are the main ones. And, and the name of the book again Writing is? Through a Bipolar Life. And that's sold on Amazon. And you can get the link to it from my website as well. Okay. That's great. You've been a great guest. I, I appreciate your story. I think it's important to get it out there. I'm glad you wrote the book. I'm glad you're getting better and you're recovering. Everybody that's listening that has these symptoms, they can get the book and, and find out how she got through them, and, and maybe that will peak something in you that, that makes it uh, that much better. So I really appreciate you coming on, and thank, thank you, you very so much. Thank you so much. I had a wonderful time, and I wish you the best in your continued recovery. Yes, yes. Oh, and NAMI. NAMI's great for family members, too. I just wanted to say they have... Okay. Maybe I'll check into that. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. Thanks Thanks. a lot. Take care. Bye.